Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. Welcome to another episode of the Behavior Speak podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Ryman. Today in the podcast, we have Cammie Williams. Welcome to the podcast, Cammie. Thank you. I emphasize Williams today because I was uh, doing a little research, I think yesterday, and you know, on, on one place I saw Morgan, mm-hmm. on one place I saw Cammie D. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was like, do I got it right? Do I got it right? I, yes, I, you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Good. Uh, before we get started, I just want to uh, acknowledge that I'm producing this podcast in the lands of the Comox, uh, Homoko, Kalehus, and Kalaman First Nations, who were one nation before we settlers came in and separated them into reserves. Um, Another First Nation that's actually also really close to my home um, is is called the the Shisha First Nation. Uh, folks that live in my neck of the woods will know this. Will know this is the community of Seashelt, which is about 100k from where I live. Also on the, on this area called the Sunshine Coast, kind of a small area in uh, Western Canada, and uh, some. Uh, folks will be familiar. I, I talk a lot about sort of residential schools and a lot of the awful stuff that's happened at, at those places, sort of but up until recent times and quite a bit in the 19th century. Uh, folks will be familiar with uh, yeah, the, what happened, uh, sort of probably the second biggest, um, you know, um, sort of event that kind of shocked shocked the world in terms of um uh you know racism and and whatnot you know george floyd was the biggest i think uh, but not far away was a year later almost to the date was the discovery of the 215 child graves at the former indian residential school uh, in kamloops at at kamloops uh, first nation and uh, i think since then other 9500 graves have been have been found anyway every time this kind of happens it's it uh it not only shocks the nation but you know re-traumatizes folks so uh just for folks that might be uh uh you know triggered by some of this stuff maybe just uh hit pause for the next couple minutes or fast forward uh because i wanted to read a bit uh a little statement that i found on the uh, shisha nation uh uh, uh, webpage. Uh, uh, they discovered so yesterday. I think they announced yesterday before they announced uh, uh, another scan was completed. They've been using this ground penetration radar in all these in- Indian res- residential school sites to sort of locate these. And on the Shisha Nation, they found forty more graves a couple days ago. Um, all very small, compacted, shallow. Essentially, obviously for children, but so shallow that it was would have been all children uh, in in the fetal position uh, buried in these uh, mass graves on the site of the Saint Augustine Residential School. So I'm just reading this thing from the uh, from the uh, uh, the chief and council of the Shisha Nation. Uh, we write to you today to inform you of the results of the ground penetrating radar investigation of the former Indian residential school site that was on the lands of the Shisha Nation. This is a very challenging time for all the survivors who attended the institution, families of students and communities, and for the Shisha Nation. Our focus throughout the upcoming 
Community meetings will be on supporting survivors, community members, and staff through sacred ceremony and cultural practices. It should be made clear that the results of the St. Augustine field investigations should in no way be seen to validate or invalidate the experiences of survivors or the knowledge held by families of those who attended. Whether or not unmarked graves are found, there is enough documented oral and archival evidence to say that these burials do or do or did exist. The news of unmarked graves at residential schools across Canada have been deeply painful and incredibly challenging for Shisha people and for all Indigenous peoples across Canada. The truth is being heard by many settler Canadians in new ways. Inf information Indigenous people have been telling Canadians for generations. There are many more truths that will be heard in the coming months, and it's a horrifying and devastating history that must be grappled with. This is an important time of reckoning for Canada, a time where history must be examined curtain inequity scrutinized and a fundamentally new path charted. We must find a path towards truth, justice, and unity. This new path will create great change for all of us. It requires individuals and collectives to re-examine their place in Canadian society and how they are contributing to and or hindering a more equitable future. This change will be hard. Uh, growth often is. The Honorable Jody Wilson-Raybould uh, recently reminded us of Chief Joe Matthias's words, Behold the turtle, he moves forward when he sticks his head out. Uh, it is time for bold actions, actions that shift our reality, actions that push us to grow, actions that shift our hearts. Shisha has continued to show Canadians how, how and when our hearts and minds are in the right place and change can happen quickly on the behalf of the Haggis and Council, Stephen Feschuk. Um, I share all this um, I think, A, just to get the word out to folks, especially kind of around the world that may not be familiar with some of the stuff that's happened in Canada and the U.S. A lot of these schools are in the U.S. as well. Uh, but also because I know that the Tlaman Nation, on which most of the area I live in is part of, um, uh, I know a few folks up there and uh, a lot of those, a lot of the folks in Tlaman have families that were in Seashell and Shisha, and in that school. Uh, if anyone, you know, might be triggered or buy some of this stuff, um, I'm sure you will be. You can always call the Indian Residential School hotline at 1-800-726-0066. And if folks are just looking to sort of put their money where their mouth is, the Indian Residential School Survivor Society, which runs the hotline, is a great organization to donate to. So with that, I bring us back to the Cami. Thank you for sharing that. That's absolutely just heartbreaking. Thank you for sharing that oh, and absolutely. acknowledging that. Yeah, you bet. So today we're going to be talking about burnout. Um, and as soon as I say that, I know probably half people listening are going, wait a second, I've heard a podcast on burnout. Yeah, so have I, so have I. Wait, there's, <laughs> eight, there's 18 of them. And and not to say that any of those are, are problematic or bad. They're all really informative and good ones. Good ones. In fact, I think you yourself, Cammie, have done presentations and 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 spoke on sort of you know uh, things with self-care and all those sorts mm -hmm. of things which are absolutely important but we're going to be talking about sort of a different angle on on burnout um um kind of you know uh well we'll, we'll get to that um uh but i think it's a, a, an important conversation because we keep you know we keep trying to treat the symptoms and yeah. uh we need to talk a little more about some of the causes um, um uh, uh, because we shouldn't have to or so a lot of folks shouldn't have to deal with this kind of sort of trauma and burnout on on, on a daily basis and, and have tools to deal with that. We need to be doing a lot more work um, in terms of dealing with that. In fact, I just 
And we're going to touch on this, uh, but I just want to say this while it's in my head, uh, but I want to get an introduction to you first. Uh, um, I had, uh, I didn't have, I was, I was reading a LinkedIn post from, um, um, oh, I'm going to butcher the name, so I won't even say, but uh, an indigenous social worker that I'm going to be having on the podcast um, um, soon. Um, uh, oh, Autumn, Autumn Black Deer, that's her name. Um uh, and uh, she's been sharing a lot recently about sort of um, uh, the idea that it's, it's in a similar way that, you know, it's it's not sort of about sort of, you know, and I'm butchered, I got to find the post, but basically it's not about decolonizing um, sort of, you know, you know, the, it's not just about decolonizing sort of the programs and the things that are happening, but it's about, it sort of getting the idea that all 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 these systems are still so white centric, mm-hmm. um, and so you know, again, she kept she was talking about it sort of a similar angle that we're we're kind of you know we're 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 doing cultural adaptations and cultural responsiveness and all mm-hmm. these kinds of things, you know, uh, which which are great, but what we're doing is we're essentially adapting and 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 you know modifying essentially these these white centered um you know devices and assessments mm-hmm. and programs and whatnot um and so instead of <laughs> instead of looking at the white centeredness we're just trying to say okay well it's white centered but we'll we'll fix it and make it less white centered mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and uh and i thought that was really 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 telling um about kind of what's happening but pause that yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that thought uh i want to just uh, learn a little bit more about you cami um sure. you know kind of you know a bit would be your origin story, kind of how you got into the field and 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 uh, kind of how that got you to where you are now. Yeah. Um, so I completed my undergrad degree in 2013 from Western Michigan University. Mm. Um, and so some of the psych courses that I had to take included ABA. Um, I did not like ABA. The way it was taught was mm. at that time very rote and my brain just doesn't work I guess that way. Mm. Um, But nonetheless, I was a psych major. I needed a job and a company um, hit me up out of Indiana. um, And I was like, okay, cool. Like I got a job because my dad was always grilling me about my psych degree and I need to have a job after graduation. Mm. Um, So I moved to Indiana and I started working at this clinic and just it completely changed my life because I was able to actually see the science in real practice with Mm. my clients I was able to really just connect with so many of my clients, their families, their loved ones. Um, And that's really how I kind of stumbled upon ABA. Mm -hmm. Um, Many years later, I ended up moving to Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, And again, I found a clinic and it just made me fall in love with the science and the field even more. Um, and so, yeah, I went back to school, um, got my master's from Nova Southeastern university in mass in, um, counseling, excuse me, with an emphasis on ABA. Um, and it's taken me thus just to where I am now, um, where I really try to take a, an approach where I'm really looking at like just the internal family system, not just like that immediate environment. Um, Mm. but really just kind of the in a more contextual way, kind of who this client is overall, why some of these things are happening. Mm. Um, 
if they're even inappropriate outside or appropriate, um, you know, inside or outside this kind of internal family system um, and just going from there. Um, so since then, I have met my now wife. Um, I'm a military spouse. So mm. um, originally when I passed my boards, we were in Hawaii. So I was able to practice there. And again, I was able to really utilize um, my passion for just seeing the world in a very contextual, intersectional lens, um, just helping out or trying at least to help out, you know, some of the, the clients that was referred to me out of the Hawaii DOE. Um, I now reside in Maryland. Um, and so, yeah, aside from what the work I do clinically, I have my own podcast, Love, Sex, and Applied Behavior Analysis. Um, and I also have another company called Becoming Unfuckwithable, where mm. both of these things are really just a matter of utilizing the science um, really for ourselves, um, but also talking about um, just the world around us in a behavior analytic and positive psychological way um, with a lot of roots and a lot of um, context from just a very intersectional, but specifically a pro-Black lens. So, yeah, I feel like that was a mouthful. That's a little bit about me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. I also see your name, and, and of course the, the podcast kind of hints at that, but I also see your name quite a bit in sort of the, the ABA kind of sexuality spaces. Uh, mm -hmm. What uh, Have you done a lot of work in that area? Did you do some sort of yeah. specialized training there? Like what, 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 what made yeah, you go that so, direction? Um. I never, I never, ever, 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 ever wanted to be just like a traditional BCBA. Yeah. Um, my interests have always kind of outlined outside of that. Um, and one of the things that's really intriguing to me is the relationship between the patriarchy, religion, um, and specifically the impact that that has on mm. um, the global majority and our sexuality and our sexual mm. expression. Mm. Um, and so a lot of the work that I tend to do is really kind of helping people to see that a lot of what may be maintaining something um, such as like their lack of orgasm to their lack of belief in, I don't know, like masturbation, like just all right. these kind of like self-love things, um, how a lot of them are rooted in the patriarchy and anti-Blackness mm. and just all the things. So yeah, I dibble and dabble. <laughs> I know we're, it's not the focus of today, but mm -hmm. could could you unpack that a bit? How how that yeah. how that stuff is rooted in the patriarchy and anti blackness? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, we know that pleasure is like a direct juxtaposition of oppression, right? And I mm. think for most um, people who identify as women. Um, Typically, our identities have all been wrapped around male pleasure. Um, mm. And so if like so it kind of begs the question, like, well, who are we? One, if if we don't want or we don't operate our lives um, at the hands of, of men and, and their pleasure, um, but also who are we when we just want to have sex just to orgasm or not even if orgasming in, in this case is the end goal, right? Like, who are we if we really just want to feel pleasure? Mm. Um, and we know that many religions kind of uphold this idea that women are only supposed to be the producers, you know what I mean? To kind of right. uh, keep, keep all of the, the, the little humans kind of going. Yes. Um, 
And so it's okay that we allow other people to feel pleasure by, you know, doing things that are negatively negatively reinforcing to them, such as like Mm. the housework and the child rearing and the child raising and all that kind of stuff. But really, it's like, who are we if we're centering our own pleasure, in this case, our own sexual pleasure? So who am I if I am married um, and I still like to masturbate on my own? Or who Mm. am I if I am a sex worker and I refuse to be shamed about that? Who am I if, um, you know, I am a trans person and I'm not you know, disclosing or, you know, my identity to someone and I still expect to be able to have sex with them and yeah. still be alive after that interaction. Um, and so really a lot of my goal in life is, you'll hear me say this all the time, is like centering the most marginalized person within the any context, any given context that I'm referring to. And typically when it comes to pleasure, um, in particular, just sexual pleasure, um, the people that I try to center the most are the disabled um, identities, the neurodiverse identities, um, the fat identities, the trans and non-binary identities, black and brown identities, um, because if we can successfully do that and, and continuously do that, um, then I think it will kind of open up this whole world of pleasure for for all of us. Love it. That's Thank awesome. You. Yeah. Hmm. I, I see another podcast coming. <laughs> um, and also, I, it also r- reminds me of uh, sort of an online conversation that I think you and I were involved in a little bit um, uh, when, uh, you know, I impulsively created the uh, behavior analyst with no kids. Yes. Facebook page. And, yes. uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and you and uh, a couple other folks, um, brought up some really important points that have caused me to reflect quite a bit and also there's I think there's actually someone I might be having on soon um talking about sort of you know kind of how you know our systemic racist structures play into sort of mothering and pregnancy and and and, and, and maternal care and whatnot and the point that you know it's 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 also a a point of because like you said, you know, women are expected to, to have children and, and, and mm-hmm. bear children and, uh, and so on and so forth. And, and that the systems are actually designed so that, you know, things like contraception and abortion mm-hmm. and, and, uh, you know, other, you know, other sorts of, um, um, what, what, what do we call that sort of broad category of, of sort of, of sort of, you know, women's health um yeah. um are 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 suppressed by 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 sort of the, the the systems of government and and patriarchy and so on and so forth and so point being that starting a facebook page called behavior analysts who don't have kids is a very privileged perspective mm-hmm are you a bcba supervisor looking to streamline your practice or maybe you're working towards your BCBA and need to find the right supervisor. Whomhouse offers tools that make supervision so much more enjoyable for both supervisor and supervisee. For supervisors, they offer easy meeting documentation, competency tracking, monthly verification forms, a built-in supervision curriculum, and so much more. For supervisees, Whomhouse has a fieldwork tracker with built-in auditing, monthly verification forms, a curriculum, quizzes, and more.
If you're looking for a supervisor, they even have a supervision marketplace where you can connect with BCBAs until you find your perfect match. Kind of like professional dating. For more information, go to whomhouse.com forward slash speak or search whomhouse on Google. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is burnout. There may be many folks that could join that group, people that don't want kids, but have mm-hmm. them, um, yeah, or have yeah, been yeah, forced that. to have them, you know, or, um, you know, yeah. and, and so on. And, and uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not all as simple as you think it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but, Sorry, folks, not the topic for today. Uh, <laughs> next time, maybe. Um, uh, when I when I met with you prior to talk about sort of what you want to talk about, we uh, burnout was a thing that, that uh, was really, really of mind. And, um, yeah. and so uh, and sort of some of those kind of systemic issues and whatnot contributing to burnout. So a lot of people talk about burnout. Um, and um, let me first off, give an idea of give us maybe an idea of sort of what you how you define burnout because burnout can have a lot of different yeah. sort of you know topographies and, and presentations and, and, and what, what does sort of burnout mean to you yeah um I think that the way burnout is being talked about like in mainstream media mm. I think if I had to like on my feet kind of think of an operational definition I would define it as Uh, like this feeling or this sensation that white people have now that they are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm. I think that is like the epitome of, of what it is now. Um, I think on a, on a deeper level, Mm. um, burnout, I think really kind of comes from, I think burnout is almost like this response to an awakening that tends to happen but when you don't have the privilege, um, oftentimes of kind of like moving and shifting, um, whether it's to a different environment, to a different job, to a different career, whatever, mm. um, it's kind of like this awakening that happens in the absence of the privilege to really do something about it. Mm. Um, and again, at least at least to me, a lot of this, if not all of this, directly stems from um, kind of what. I kind of would quantify as just white supremacy culture, um, racism, um, specifically anti-Blackness, and for sure, um, just anti like the global majority. Um, So yeah, I think that that's the that's the fastest thing I could come up with just just now. But yeah, I think that that's at least the way I see it. That is awesome. Um, and I say that so I, I've had a few guests on recently and, and and folks have been kind of asking why I do this podcast and why I tend to have, you know, you know, folks that aren't white on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And 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 one of the big reasons there's there's a couple there's first, obviously, I want to support and uplift and, and get voices out there and all that. But also it's. It's the perspective without privilege that yeah. I have just been eaten up and loving. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and it just shows such a different sort of, you know, such a, a much more worldview of everything. 
Um, you know, I would have expected a, a burnout definition to sort of just be, you know, I'm overworked, you know, I'm tired, I'm stressed, yep. whatever, da, 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 da. Um, and your definition is just like, bam, that's what it really is. Um, you know, burn, burnout, you know, and it's true. I think a lot of the sort of concepts of stress and anger and and, and anxiety and whatnot, um, you know, most of them are white centered, white, mm-hmm. you know, privileged based definitions, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, 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 you know, I think, you know, your point about sort of, you know, it's, you know, we're just starting to feel, you know, yeah. some of this, some of this stress and, and, and wear out. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, as I've learned, you know, in, 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 in recent years, you know, uh, most folks that aren't white, you know, have not only been experienced levels of this from the moment they came out of the womb, um, but also in the womb yep. and intergenerationally yep. and genetically and, 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 you know, and, 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 you know, ancestrally and, and, yep. uh, you know, ceremonially, and if that's a word, and, 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 uh, and it's just, you know, it's just, it's a completely different picture. And, and I think, I, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of tangenting here, but I think we need to, really look at our definitions of everything um, 100% you know yeah. and, and 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 unpack them in a different way because yeah that's yeah okay that, that that's a great off the cuff definition i can only imagine if i gave you time to prepare what that would sound like <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so and i think it's really important that you define burnout this way because it also then changes how we address it uh, yeah, because I think it puts it it allow it allows for us to also understand that we have a hand in our own oppression, right? Like the I think oftentimes when we think about the system or we think about like the man or the machine or whatever, yeah. we forget that we're the ones like manually turning that wheel. You know mm. what I mean? And I think sometimes it could be really, really hard for us to really kind of realize that. Um one of the things, like even in my bio, like I explicitly put just a few of my intersections um, because it's really important for me to center the fact that like as a black cis or not, well, cis, excuse me, um, but lesbian, but feminine presenting person, like I still also uphold a lot of privilege, Mm. right? And Mm. and I think sometimes um, I see this a lot, especially with white women, there's this sense of like, like this is daunting, like I always give the example, um, the whole Handmaid's Tale where, you know, mm. so many women in with with that show identify as June. And in reality, they're Aunt Lydia. Like they mm. are bought into the system. Right. They are literally birthing, marrying, procreating the system um, while also kind of, I think in this case, having this new kind of awakening of like, oh shit, like I'm actually being oppressed too. And I think we all do that in mm. in our various in our various ways. And I think what we're seeing right now with burnout, really at large, but specifically in behavior analysis, I think we're kind of figuring out that like something's not right, but the things that aren't right are the things that arguably have never been right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's like, so what do we kind of do about it? I personally think that the first thing we need to do about it is, in my opinion, like reframing the definition, but also like 
starting with just admitting like with all of our careers and all of our degrees and all of our supervision hours and all that stuff, a lot of us did not have exposure to like the real like healthcare system at large, right? So I know I didn't know about billable hours. I'd, mm. I definitely have never taken a business class. Like I I didn't know truly about like things like capitalism, you know what I mean? Or again, like the, the healthcare system and really how it worked at large. I knew mm-hmm. that my people were oppressed by it. I knew kind of the complexities and some of the nuances, but like on a day-to-day basis, all I knew was like my dad had really good insurance. And so like when it came time to pay like my chemo treatments and things like that, like we were able to do that, right? Like, but I didn't really know, Mm. especially on like the practitioner side, that idea of like, but at what cost, right? Like I I just had no idea. And so I think right now we're kind of in this shift where it's one with the algorithm on social media, burnout is just something I think really good to talk about depending on, you know, mm-hmm. what the function of your behavior is. Um, but I, I just, I don't think we really, really realize like we are talking about, we're kind of like whitewashing this in a way that is so harmful, um, especially to like the global majority that um, to me, I just, I, I tend to not touch on it for that reason. Cause I piss a lot of people off. I get a lot of mean inboxes, which I'm fine with because I think if I'm if I'm making the right people mad, I'm doing my job. But um, I, I just don't know if at large if if we're really ready to kind of talk about it. You know? Yeah. No. Hundred percent. We aren't. Um, like God, that's awesome. all of that in school. Um, so um, in a bad way, but um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and I've heard you know a lot of a lot of you know sort of non-white folks talk about you know and and this intersectionality piece around yeah you know, around privilege um and um i mean i think it's it, it it's it's good to recognize that but mm-hmm. i think it also can be problematic to point that out um, yeah. uh because I can totally see, uh, you know, that that white woman or that white man with privilege, mm-hmm. with a whole lot of privilege, hearing you with all these intersectionalities talking about your privilege and mm-hmm. going, oh, well, she's got privilege, too. So 100 you know, percent. I'm not so bad, you yep. know, 100 percent. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, and and it's so interesting that that, you know, it was that. What was that article when I remember I had Anita Lee on way back and, mm-hmm. and she did that article on she wrote that, that article on um on solidarity between uh you know non-white professionals so you know mm-hmm. yeah I think the idea sort of black professionals and Asian professionals and whatnot you yeah. know um all all having sort of similar experiences and kind of working together and, and uh uh and acknowledging you know that you know even within your own you know, sort of cultures, there's, there's, you know, you're, you're all human still. So there's a, there's yeah. a, a, a lot of the stuff is kind of, is, is still going on, but I feel like, you know, I mean, I think you got to talk about it and you got to write about it, but mm-hmm. I just worry that it it, 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 you know, for some folks that kind of rhetoric is going to, you know, make white folks work, work less harder. On, on, on these well, things. Yeah, because, well, yeah. Everyone's doing it. So, 
Well, also behaviorally speaking, and again, I think we have to be really careful not to talk about this, any of these things in like this fluffy way, which I think a lot of people are doing, mm. like like marginalize people as well, because oftentimes we are heavily reinforced for talking about it in this way that makes people comfortable. Mm. So for me, it, for example, like a lot of my experience has been the opposite because I don't talk about it in this fluffy way. Mm. Um, definitely, like I am not getting hit up for a lot of these opportunities because I think my lived experience and also just my understanding and my knowledge of 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 really the bigger picture won't it just won't allow me to right I think the reality is it is not comfortable and it's not easy it's not pleasurable to do this kind of work mm. and the second that it is and I think DEI um as 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 a perfect example specifically to our field is a prime example the second everybody's buying into it. I know we've done it wrong because (laughs) it literally is a matter of like overthrowing every single thing that, that we know. So I'll give Mm -hmm. you a personal example. A few years ago when I learned, and again, I'm saying a few years ago. So Mm -hmm. for context, I've been in the field since 2013. I have um, been I've, I struggle with like clinical depression um, and anxiety, PTSD. Um, I also have ADHD. A few years ago, when I learned of the term ableism, mm. it rocked my world mm. because I was like, what is that? Like, you know what I mean? And and I pride myself again on centering the most marginalized, all this stuff. When I learned about ableism, I had to choose actively to not just like know what it was by definition and to kind of conceptualize it, but I had to actively choose if I was saying like, I'm X, whatever these, you know, self-proclaimed, you know, adjectives that I wanted to give myself. um, I knew I had to intentionally choose on a daily basis to make that a conscious part of my being. So I always say to people, for example, like being black to me, is just a very conscious experience. And mm. I think a lot of people who have, who have, depending on like what their neurodivergence is, they can understand that consciousness where it's like, you're always kind of in your head a lot, right? Cause it's such a thoughtful experience. You have to be consciously aware of just about anything that you do, right? In my case, because of this black skin. So when I learned about, and because of, of, of being in, especially to me, a feminine presenting woman. Mm. So when I learned about ableism, it was the exact same thing. I had to make it at the very conscious for me to truly be able to create spaces for people um, without them asking, without me having them like come on my podcast, without, you know, them, you know, performing at, you know, a CEU event or whatever. But I had to make sure that like when I learned about it, if I was really this offended by it or really this, you know, outraged by it or whatever, I knew I had to make it a conscious part of my existence to be conscious of it. Mm. The thing when it comes to oppression and racism and all these things most of us have the privilege of these things not being our conscious experience. So there is kind of this like check, I'm checking all these boxes, I think kind of um, like process that many of us either have been on the receiving end of, or we may be the perpetrators of, because that's what we're taught to do. We're taught to check the boxes and we see Mm -hmm. that through history, right? Like we saw literally after the civil rights movement, like when integration happened, 
like the work stopped. <laughs> like, like, cause they, we checked the box. Like there's no more black and white fountains and schools yep. and all that stuff. And I also think too, we have to acknowledge like we're the generation of we don't see color because mm-hmm. our parents were the generation of integration. Well, my grandmother was like working in people's homes, like the movie, The Help. Like I saw that movie and I was deeply triggered because I'm like, that's my grandmother, my father's mother. My father went through school integration. And meanwhile, like I was a black kid in a white ass suburbs because it was quote unquote, like better opportunities and all this Mm. stuff. Right. So I think there also is like sometimes this feeling of like really personalizing a lot of this stuff that a lot of people aren't really comfortable with doing. And I think for me, it's like, it just doesn't take anything away from me to be like, absolutely. I am inherently ableist. I am inherently transphobic. I am inherently like all these things because it's the truth. Like it's, it's, it's as true as the fact that like, I'm recording this podcast with you right now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't feel, I don't feel like, I don't feel anything besides motivation to use that inherent um those like inherent privileges for the good and i think a lot of people kind of get stuck with this like resistance um to really kind of accepting like we all are inherently like flawed i guess for lack of better word because that's the way the system was designed <laughs> like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it we can't just like think that like hiring someone, you know, like to be on like your DEI board or whatever, that like, that's enough. And, and it's, I don't know. I personally am no longer interested in the whole, like, oh, I'm listening and learning. I'm not interested in being (laughs) the talker. I'm not just because I think the reality is like that. It just, it doesn't, when I think of efficacy, um, and, and on a big scale, I, I don't think that that's the most effective. And I think you're right. I think we either have this like push of like, oh no, like I, I have like an autistic person that's a BCBA at my company. Like we're good. Like we're good with like the neurodiversity movement or like, yeah. oh no, like, you know, Cammy's doing my CEU or, I, you know, I'm going to Babacon or whatever. I'm good. Like I'm good on that. And, yeah. and that's just not, you know, the, the, that's just not it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're 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 never gonna be good. Yep. Um, you know, which is, you know, uh I know it's a pessimistic, cynical way of looking at things, but you're absolutely right. And everything mm-hmm. we have in the world was mm-hmm. built on these, you know, the, well, certainly in our world anyway, was in our North American westernized sort of yeah. world was built on this, you know, white supremacist sort of structure. Um, mm-hmm. going all the way back. I mean, I, I remember when I, you know, I, I had, uh, when I had, uh, Tiffany Hammond on and she was talking mm-hmm. about, um, you know, we, uh, this was a, this was a time this sort of during pandemic when, you know, the anti-ABA conversation was, yeah was, was really, really blooming and it's still, still going strong right now, but, but it's a, it, it's actually a really, a, a real white conversation. A hundred percent. And a white dominated conversation. In fact, a white autistic dominated conversation. A hundred percent. And it's, you know, and it's sort of, it's interesting. It's hard. I think it's hard for folks to sort of acknowledge that, you know, um, 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 that you, you can be anti-ableist and racist at the same time. Oh, um, Yes. You know, when I will never forget when I came out, um, some of the most significant 
moments of experiencing racism that stand out to me happened at Pride. Mm. And I don't think people really get that. And in their minds, it really is like this, these rainbows and confetti um, and all these things. And it's like, again, intersectionality is a thing. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think people are willing to really take into account just how deeply rooted this is. Like it's, it's a, it's a, I always wish that it was, it would be ethical to like, like to be an experimenter and to create like a utopia and then like mm-hmm. the control group be like the real world um, where, you know, in this utopia, there really is this like acknowledgement of all beings in Mm. in a very like wholesome, you know, beautiful whole kind of way. But obviously just due to the ethical concerns that like that utopia in this experiment can't last forever. And if you put those hypothetical people back in the real world, that would create severe harm. But Mm. I really think that I I wish that we could do that. So people could really kind of see, like, I'm not saying that, wherever and I don't believe to your point that like we're ever going to get to a place where like everything is perfect and I don't know anybody that's saying that I think what what most of us or at least what I'm saying is number one we have to be willing to acknowledge that's fucked up (laughs) we have to be willing to acknowledge why it is what part we are we are contributing to someone else's suffering what part that we're contributing to our own suffering Um, And then like literally work together to be like, well, even if it's just for these eight hours a day that that you're here at my clinic, how can I make your suffering less? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's me just doing a preference assessment and giving you feedback via email versus in person. Maybe it's me having written and vocal and, you know, whatever else kind of instruction. Like, like, I think sometimes people think that like, a lot of the actions are a little bit like bigger than what they actually are. Right. Like Mm. literally like maybe it's like, you know, teaching your client how to mand in their native tongue. Like, you know what I mean? Like there really are these like simple, but powerful ways to do this. Um, And I just don't, I I think, I think if there's, if there, if burnout is ever going to be used, at least in my vocabulary, I think like white people are burnt out from being talked about how racist they are. (laughs) And so we're kind of seeing this, like kind of this, this, this phase, right. Where, you know, we're, we're kind of going right back to normal. And I don't know, it's, it's hard for me to, to hear about burnout because again, since the workforce in America was created, like we've been talking and feeling this way forever and we've had no choice or the mm-hmm. privilege or access to to even speak about it because we needed like we needed a job you know mm-hmm. what i mean and it's just i think it's just a lot deeper than what people realize there is a lack of diversity when it comes to educational material depicting black children in the field of applied behavior analysis human expressions gives black and brown children realistic and detailed images of kids who look like them, modeling everyday skills that may be difficult for them to communicate or express. At Human Expressions, the benefits of representation for black and brown kids in educational curricula are clear. Increased self-esteem, reducing stereotypes, and increased validation and support. To learn more, go to www.humanexpressions.org. That's human, H-U-E-M-A-N, expressions.org. The second secret words are 
Beauty Shop. Something I heard, and a lot, I think a lot of folks heard, um, you know, in sort of the immediate kind of months after the George Floyd murder, um, quite a bit, uh, which I, I'm sure had a lot of white people struggling, uh, was how tired black folks were, uh, uh, how exhausted they were, uh, and, and still are, um, and continue to be and have been forever. But, um, you know, because suddenly you've got, you know, this mass amount of white people that suddenly want to know, suddenly want to understand, suddenly mm-hmm. want to relate and somehow connect somehow, uh, you know, you know, be an ally, be an accomplice yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, and so look at, and so look into, you know, the black voices to fill them mm-hmm. in to, to, mm-hmm. to now I want to know. Yeah. Now yeah. I want to hear it. And, you know, the residential, I talked about the residential school experience in the beginning and how, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, 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 you know, how, you know, how, how this, the Shisha nation in their statement even said, you know, that this stuff isn't new, you mm-hmm. know, We're, you're listening now that these graves are here, but yeah. they we've known they've been there since we went to these schools. We saw yes. these people go missing and, and, and we saw the burial plots outside and yeah. no one wanted to know. No one wanted to hear about it. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah. And so just that, 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 you know, your point about sort of that, 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 you know, we, we as white folks are, are, you know, now this is stressful. Now this is hard. Now it's mm-hmm. hard to know that, you know, you know, these people have been, you know, traumatized and hurt and whatnot. And, yeah. and you know, I had, um, you know, like, no, I can't, I can't say that example. Um, I'll get in trouble. But, um, um, <laughs> I, but, but, but I've, I, but I've had conversations like that where mm-hmm. like, like folks have even white folks have even tried to sort of relate to the residential school experience. I'm like, what oh, are you yes. Doing? Yeah. Um, um, yeah. You, you can't relate. You have no idea. Um, yeah. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, it's, it, it, so yeah. And it's, and, and so now what's, what's happening. And I think in our field um, is, you know, I think when we look at this sort of the ableism intersection as well, Mm-hmm. is we have a lot of folks burning out mm-hmm. because you know of how bad ABA suddenly is yep. you know and and how yep. and how we're suddenly you know not you know not thinking of assent assent we're not yeah. being compassionate we're not being quote unquote trauma informed or trauma yep. assumed and yeah. we've applied we've applied all these sort of these labels to to our to to sort of you know alleviate our own alleviate us having to do any work like i don't have to yes. work on the white supremacist system because yeah. i now have identified my company as being trauma-informed yeah neurodiversity yep. affirming <laughs> oh, um, yeah. you know uh, anti-racist oh. uh, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm an anti-racist you know yeah. and i'm an ally yeah um and so you know problem solved yeah, yeah. Well it's matching law, right? It's easier mm. to do those things. Yes, right. You know what I'm saying? And 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 I think what I am saying is like I see right through it. And I see right through it because that is what my colleagues' parents did. That mm. is what my colleagues' grandparents did, and so on and so forth. Like, and every it literally most times when I'm talking about this at the end. 
they'll be like, Hey, like, Cammy, can you give me a resource list? Like what, like, what are you reading or where can I read this or whatever? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, literally start with your grandma, start with your grandpa, like talk to your people because like, they know, like, you know what I mean? Like they know, like when we look at these pictures that have intentionally been only posted and recreated in black and white, if we know the psychological phenomenon between that and, and the perception of, of time, for example, mm. um, like then we know that this didn't happen like that long ago, right? Like we know, like talk to, like, why are you reading like white fragility by this white lady over here? Like mm -hmm. talk to your parents, like talk to, and and I don't think people really kind of are willing to to even do that because there is this level of intimacy and fear that kind of comes along with like this awakening, right? Like what if I thought that like, you know, I was raised by the, like, this was my experience of, of my parents. Right. And, and I, and I realized that like, maybe there's also more to them. Like maybe there is this socialized, this, this learned conditioned um, repertoire of behaviors that like I didn't know about. And, and I think mm. it's, it really, it could be that, that I think all of us, like, you know, there comes a point in time, like when you start to see your parents and your grandparents as like people, not just as like your experience of them as parents. And that can be really, really hard and scary. Um, but when you really start to kind of see them possibly as, as, you know, people who also uphold systems of oppression and things like that, I think a lot of people are afraid to really combat that. And if you can't do that with like your parents or your grandparents or your great grandparents, um, but you're also comfortable like getting a 23andMe test to see like where your ancestors came from and all that kind of stuff. Mm. I'm probably not going to be the person that's going to be a, able to effectively educate you on this. Mm. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. it's just not it. And also if you can do that, but you also can't like first start with yourself and really start to figure out like how, again, how am I contributing to the system? And also how am I contributing to my own oppression? Like it's because it, it's it's a revolutionary kind of act to do that many people have the privilege not to be forced to do. You know, like I remember somebody was asking me, like, if you could be any other race, like, mm -hmm. would you like what race would you be? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I'd still be black. Like, I love mm -hmm. being black. And they're like, mm -hmm. really? And I'm like, absolutely. I love being black. I don't love that white people were taught to hate me because of that, though. Mm -hmm. That's what I don't love. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the part. Like, I would not change me or my people for anything. Yeah. Like, what I hate are these systems of oppression that my peers and their peers and their family members and myself and all my, like, that we're all upholding because we aren't willing to make someone else's experience a little bit more tangible and a little bit more conscious in our minds. Like, that's what I hate. And it's just, it's really, really, it's sad. It's, mm. it's really sad. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. And then again, like to the point of burnout, it's like social workers have been preaching this for years. You know what I mean? Like therapists, psychologists, like they have been pre like our field. I don't think people understand our field. We're a relatively young field. So we're kind yep. of just catching up to so many of these things. And so when I see a lot of people on social media and they're talking about like billable hours or they're talking about, you know, the 40 hour, you know, formal gold standard mm. or whatever of therapy. 
Um, obviously, there is a horrific side to this that's all about capitalism, all that kind of sure. stuff. But again, I don't think people are really talking about this with this kind of holistic, like family system and family structure in mind. Um, and I don't think that, again, there, because I think we, I think our field kind of has this like God like ego <laughs> where. Big time we think that we're the only ones going through this. And it's like, you all like, just look at our, our counterparts in the psychology field and you will see like, this is why like maybe so many people are turning away from accepting insurance because they're bound to things like the DSM-4, they're bound to, or now five, they're bound to things um, like those billing, like there are people who have already showed us like various ways that we can do this. You know what I mean? Like, um, but I don't know, I think, I think right now, especially with social media, it's really popular to kind of just talk about a lot of things um, and to get popular like for that. And it's we're we're doing this like parasocial, like trauma bonding. And it's like, yeah, but like, first of all, like, like, like if we do want to just take this like sloofy angle, like what are we actually going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Like, Because I still have to go to work on Monday because my rent's mm-hmm. still due on the first. You know yeah. what I mean? Like. Or because that parent like still needs childcare because they have to go to work. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what are we actually gonna do about it? And I think that's what's really interesting. A lot of of people never have answers for it because one, in my opinion, they're not tackling the real issue, which again is mm-hmm. white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but two, because we're so arrogant that we're not even looking at our own fields like counterparts to be like, huh, what are they doing? Like, or maybe I should like go take like a business class and like learn a little bit more about the business structure or, you know, yeah. whatever the case may be. It's, it's just kind of like this circular reasoning kind of, yeah. kind of argument in my opinion. No, I love that. And, and uh, it also, for me, it's a little validating because uh, that's some of the work I've been trying to do recently is start yeah. kind of connecting with people from other professions. And so yeah. I, I'm starting to get a bunch of, uh, well, I started with uh, Dr. Malone. Mm-hmm. Um, from from the, from the from the school psych realm, and I'm starting to talk to a lot more school psychologists. I've got um, uh, Tierra Bland coming on. She's mm-hmm. the uh, founder of the Black School Psychologist Network, yeah. uh, which which incidentally just formed last year, and nice. they are cruising. They've got a conference coming up um, with it. with like some huge names. Like I think they're on it, but Love also it. but also they've got. Um, They've got these cool things going on, like um, this thing called the Exposure Project, mm. where where uh, through this through the School Psychology Network, where and I'll put a link in the show notes. But basically, and it's something I think we all should be doing. And basically, they're trying to get school psychology, the idea of school psychology, into you know into you know black high school students and yep. and and you know yep. and, and, and and middle school students and basically you know because you know aba for for you know aba is is the the, the common aba stories are you know somebody somebody who's autistic yeah. or like you, you you happen to take a course or you saw something in the bulletin board when you got to college but you never mm-hmm. heard of it before that um um and uh you know and so you know i had adrian bradley on and she was just talking about how you know you know these RBT, there's so many RBT jobs available that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, could be great to sort of, you know, you know, get folks that are, you know, maybe first generation or whatever that are, that are sort of, you know, struggling to find work or start struggling to sort of get into to an area. Like we have so many opportunities to, to build up our field, um, you know, with all these other voices. Um, 
And, and a lot of these other a lot of these other fields are already doing that work and have been doing it really well and been doing it for a while. Not mm-hmm. that they're not having they're not all having struggles. And of course, white supremacy is embedded deeply mm-hmm. into those fields as well. And you know, and any school psychologist will any you know any black school psychologist will know that you know they work in schools and, yeah. and, and the system of education is, is yeah. super white. You know, but but yeah, but it's like we don't have things. to reinvent the wheel. Like it's yeah. already there a hundred percent. Yeah. 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 And even like codes of conduct and ethics codes and things like that. Like, uh, you know, we've got this BACB ethics code, which, you know, you know, I think there's some, there are some good things in that, but it's not, it's not, you know, all encompassing in terms of ethics. And it also comes out of a, you know, a, you know, I mean, I think the BACB and the ABAI and most of our sort of big organizations, are, you know, they're super white centered, you know, 100%. and uh, I mean, I look at sort of, you know, I, I mean, I look at the, the BACBs and, and, I mean, your example of sort of this DEI thing, and, and it makes me think of those sort of when the BACB kind of pulled out of certifying mm-hmm. people around the world, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, that was one thing, and, and and you know, which I struggled with for a bunch of different reasons. But then when I discovered they were still certifying other countries in the world that were super white, you know, so yep. we'll still certify the UK folks, we'll still certify us in Canada, we'll still certify yep. folks in Australia, but we're not going to certify anybody else. Yep. But in, in 2027, we're going to make you take a DEI credit. Oh, um, well, that's what I'm saying. Like that, that is a a perfect example of what I mean when I'm saying like, there is this idea that just checking off almost in these, what seems to be, which I'm sure those decisions weren't necessarily, but almost in these like flippant kind of ways. So I'm like, oh, okay. Like, so because it, it literally, it just reminds me, it's like, oh, okay. So you're saying like, I can't say the N word anymore. Okay, cool. Check. I won't say that mm-hmm. at least not out in public. But you know what I will do is like all these other things, you know what I mean? And it's like, I I don't think we're, it's like, we're still missing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. the bullseye is like right there and we're just missing it. And the reality is we can. And again, when we, especially when we tap into things like capitalism, the BACB mm-hmm. and ABAI are a perfect example of like, these are machines that every single time we choose to get certified by them, or or take these verified courses, we're we're helping to keep the the wheel spinning, right? Yep. And we also know that as humans, we or for any intervention to be effective, it has to be potent enough. Um, and it, it has to be run like to fidelity enough for it to really like like be effective. That mm-hmm. means that there would have to be so many white VCBAs saying, like, oh, I'm not gonna recertify this year. Like to really, or like so many people being like, oh no, like I'm not going to like recertify with whatever, like to really be like, and this is why, this is specifically why. And who cares that much? Like if we're just really being honest, like we're the generation of the feed the children commercials. Do you think that like my colleagues really care that the BACB was like, nope, we're not going to go into black countries or brown. No, because you guys weren't taught to care about that. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, and then also if we actually like make it just specific to Americans, we as Americans were not taught to care about that. Like mm-hmm. this is why people take only mission trips <laughs> to these places, yep. but they vacation in like Europe. Like right. it's, it's, it's a system. Like it is. And I think for me, that's why I'm just like, it's, it's hard because I think we have to do things with more intention. Okay, cool. So I am going to keep my BACB credentialing. This is how I'm going to use it 
truly for the good. Mm -hmm. And not only on a localized sense with like my clients, or maybe not only on a localized sense with my company, but like Mm -hmm. for the greater good, how can I do that? Like, how can I leverage my privilege to even be able to certify, to even Mm -hmm. be able to take out a student loan, to -hmm. go to school, to even be able to get supervision or whatever? Like, how can I really like give back? And I think because of how ableism in this case works in our field works, we think we're giving back by simply punching in and out, working with our clients because we still don't see them as whole people. Like we really think that like we get like we get off by that whole like, oh, my God, like you must be so patient. We're like, oh, like we get off by that. Like because we all have like we all we just all I think have to really take a step back and like look in the mirror and be like, if I wasn't a BCBA, like what would I be or who really am I? Mm -hmm. Like, fuck, what would I be doing? But like, who am I? And then start to kind of start there. Um. But we don't we don't do that enough. We're not taught to do that enough. Um, And now that we're adults, of course, we're going to be more resistant to the extinction of a lot of our other behaviors. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, of course. And so it's just. It's it's something it's it's something, you know, that that patience comment is something we hear a lot, you know, from sort of folks Mm -hmm. that are in the field. You're such a patient person. Yeah, I don't think folks realize how ableist that comment is. Because yes. it, it basically, it basically, it, it basically implies, you know, that folks with developmental disabilities should be stressing us out. That, <laughs> and it's like, well, and it goes again back to that whole like, if I could be any other race, I wouldn't be. What stresses mm-hmm. me out are you all over here, not my, not my identity. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and and it's just it's it's a very very, and most people don't correct it. Like most people won't just be like, well, why, like, why do you think I have a lot of patients? Like, you know what I mean? Like most people don't probably feel comfortable kind of like throwing it back in people's faces. I do, which is again, why I tend to, I'm sure you've seen get, I've gotten a lot of flack over the last few years, but it's like, I was raised Mm. to, I always say like, literally before I was 10 years old, I was called the N word. I had my first experience of true racism. Mm -hmm. Like I went to a freaking Girl Scouts camp in Howell, Michigan, which is one of the uh, like capitals of the KKK. Mm -hmm. Like I, this is not new to me. You know what I mean? What is new to me is like white people being like, Hey, Camille, like, can you do this presentation on it? But me experiencing it, me talking about it, it's not new to me at all. And I think that's why I'm just so passionate about it, because when I see all of these like businesses popping up or all of these like social media posts, I saw this post that was like, it's offensive to assume that everybody has trauma. And it's like you completely clearly missed the point and on purpose. And by doing it, you just went viral, though. So all you're going to do is block me like yeah. when I call you out, which this person did. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like we're resistant to to like learning new things, mm-hmm. even as BC, especially, I think, as BCBAs. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very interesting. And consequently enough, it contributes to our burnout mm-hmm. in this whitewash sense. And mm-hmm. in, in my opinion, like this very real sense. Yeah. And and, and something I, I just want to sort of take advantage of this conversation to sort of highlight because of a conversation I had recently um, was around, uh, and it's, it's I think it's a, a, good, a good example of this. So BACB pulls out of all these countries, um, but they still maintain, you know, all the same certifications and all whatnot. And 
what we're seeing now in some of these other countries is, um, you know, other sorts of entities coming around to sort of create some sort of certification, some sort of knowledge. But what 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 we continue to do is offer the RBT credential. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and what's and what's been happening, and I don't think folks are aware of this, is that particularly with sort of organizations that are sort of like you know you know the Autism Partnership Group and others who are offering free RBT courses, which yeah. Yeah. on the surface sounds perfect, sounds yeah. wonderful. Yeah. The problem is, um, so I did an interview uh, a couple of weeks ago with um, um, a couple of behavior analysts uh, in Nigeria and Ghana, mm-hmm. uh, and they were talking about how. Um, we've got this problem now that all 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 of these sort of young folks are taking these free RBT courses um, mm-hmm. uh, from these American providers or these really inexpensive RBT courses from American providers. They're getting the certification, and then they're going out and starting practices on their own yeah. uh, because there's literally one two behavior analysts that are certified in each of these countries and hundreds yeah. of these RBTs that are going around doing this stuff and it's and it's. And it's and it's it's creating problems. It's creating you know poor practice, um, and so on and so forth. And so you essentially now have have this again, this sort of white centered sort of um, entity in 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 the states that, ha- mm-hmm. that has stopped providing, you know, the credential of certification of of of, of, of sort of board certified behavior analysts to these countries yeah. that are required to supervise these RBTs. Yeah. Uh, they're not providing the RBT credential technically, so there's no requirement yeah. for supervision anymore, but they're still all allowed to take these courses. Yeah. Um, and they're still all going out now and saying and saying, I'm 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 a registered behavior technician. And of course, in these yeah. countries, nobody knows the difference, right? You, you have the yeah. word, you know, that, that comes off as really good. And so they're just well, hammering more nails. That that well, and even here, like yeah. Thinking about, again, if we're thinking about this as a machine and we're yeah. thinking about this as a system, number one, yeah. we just, in my opinion, don't talk about capitalism and classism yeah. enough. So yeah. first of all, if we think about if the if the BACV did like a demographic on class yeah. and like it would mm. very clearly show that that RBTs are, are likely going to be in the lower class. Yeah. And then within that lower class, of course, you're going to see the exact same thing we see up top. It's going to be a majority black and brown RBTs, right? Okay. But even with that, when we think about capitalism, and again, like this is not towards any company or -hmm. anything like that. But when we think about capitalism, we know that companies make money off of RBTs. So I don't think, and and this is my personal opinion, and this is not towards any one person or any one company. I just don't think it was an accident. Or that it was like for just like the greater good of all to make something like the RBT course free. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're thinking about this again, as all of us are like these spokes on the wheel. And and so again, not to say that like, that the, I just believe in impact over intent, right? Even with kind of the way the credential of the RBT is right now, I know for me, the way I was taught to, to, to work with my clients before there was even an RBT credential the standard was very, very high in a way that I'm personally concerned about with the way that the field is going like right now. Mm -hmm. But also thinking about the dynamic that insurance kind of places on us that 
the most least credentialed person is the person having the direct contact with the the marginalized person. And by marginalized, I mean within the the client practitioner relationship. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like off to anybody. Like that doesn't yep. seem like weird. You know what it actually seems like? I'll tell you. It literally to me has like this resemblance of like in slavery where it was like my slaves could sure like nurse my white babies. Mm. My slaves could take care of my white babies and all that. But will they actually get paid? No. Will they Mm. actually have safety? No. Will they actually have protections over them? No. Will they actually have? and, And that's what I'm saying. And that's, again, the way I think that's why I can't entertain the way that these conversations mm-hmm. surrounding burnout mm-hmm. are going because yeah. it's it's deeper than this like white people coming up with this term called quiet quitting. It's deeper than mm-hmm. that. It's deeper than I have X amount of kids on my caseload and and I can't balance it. It's deeper like it's deeper than that. And until for me at least, we're willing to like really start to like look at how history is literally just doing nothing but repeating itself. I don't think we're ever really going to like get, get ahead of this. You know what I mean? Like we're not, Mm. we're not going to get ahead of this. And again, if we would just look at our brothers and sisters and other fields, we would see more things that we maybe should be doing Mm. to try to combat some of this stuff. But we're it's, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's the way that we are kind of tackling all of this is very, very individualized. And that's because whiteness is an individualistic mm-hmm. kind of culture. Whereas mm-hmm. speaking, at least for the black community, uh, but definitely from what I understand about like the indigenous community as well, for example, we are a communal people. And so Mm -hmm. I think when people think about like DEI or they think about at least my definition of burnout, we're trying to combat individualism with community and, and those, those in this respect, I don't know how well that they're going to be able to coexist. Mm. And so again, I I just don't think we're, we're really kind of talking about this in the way that, you know, we really should for it to be the most impactful. ZigZag is an autism therapy management platform. At its core, ZigZag seamlessly allows management of programs, adding, editing, changing long-term and short-term objectives on the go. ZigZag makes data collection super easy for therapists on-site and automatically calculates progress, providing you with session summaries and graphs in real time. ZigZag provides you the ability to manage all of your clients, whether they be center or home-based, and work with all the various therapists and parents seamlessly. ZigZag is based in Vancouver, British Columbia, and is fully compliant with both federal and provincial privacy requirements. Book a demo now at www.zigzagkid.com forward slash product demo and get a free 30-day trial. The third secret word is realistic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's funny, not funny, but it was just funny for me that you bring it back around to that because about the sort of communal piece. Um, um, you were talking about how it would be so nice if we could kind of do that experiment and create that utopia uh, where, you know, where, you know, none of these things are, you know, are happening. 
I saw a little bit of that utopia uh, yesterday. Um, guy I had on the podcast, episode 37, Grant Bruno, um, indigenous guy from uh, uh, northern Alberta, from from a community called Muscatchies in, Al- in Alberta. And he's a, a father of two autistic boys. Um, and uh, we talked about sort of you know, autism in, in, in First Nations. Um, He's just released a, a short documentary, which I'm going to put a link in. I think everyone should check it out. It's only 18 minutes long. It's called The Gift of Being Different. Um, and it was filmed by a, a, a Métis filmmaker um, and Grant. Um, and it's just it's just a, a, it's a story about his son, but also about their community, also about the, the you know First Nation and the ceremony and whatnot. He talks a lot about how the, the indigenous ceremony, as it's called, which is, you know, a, a sort of an umbrella term for sort of all of the different kind of ceremonial activities that they go through, um, um, spiritual connecting and and and, and so on, um, is, is the most inclusive mm. um, um, context that exists. It, it, mm. So he says when basically in the community, when you hear a ceremony is happening, you don't need to be invited. Everyone goes. It doesn't matter who you're hearing about. It means you're in. Um, um, and he's actually working. Any, 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 and uh, and he's actually doing some research around sort of um, um, some kind of you know, different kinds of sensory adaptations, or maybe around sort of you know um, uh, you know uh, the the sounds of the drums or the you know or the or the types of you know tobacco that's being used or where it's being used and and uh and so on and so forth but not 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 changing anything just more letting folks be aware that some of those things could you know uh, trigger folks in, in different ways and whatnot but it, it it um they don't have words for disability they don't have words for um for uh you know a deficit the deficit discourse as he describes it um and in a lot of ways it really is this utopia where where kind of none of this stuff is going all good. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, and so, you know, I, I do, I do again, circling back. Yeah. The, the privileged, the privileged white centered society we live in. Capitalist society that we live in was destined to never be inclusive. And so mm-hmm. the idea that we want to push for diversity, equity, inclusion just is never going to happen. Um, yeah, uh, well, especially because if companies yeah. were being honest, they wouldn't make the profit sustainably that they probably are now if they mm-hmm. actually got that. And I think that's what I'm saying. Like, I think yeah. people would be more than happy to like just put things on like their website, but true inclusion, for example, would be us like pushing back on insurance companies for requiring a formal diagnosis. True inclusion would be us pushing back on insurance companies for requiring that the diagnosis be autism, but like no other disability Mm. would be covered by their insurance for ABA. Mm. True inclusion would be asking, why do you reimburse the RBT or the behavior technician rate at at this much, but not the other, you know, people um, like BCBAs, BCABAs, so on and so forth at this rate. Like Mm. true inclusion would be, I don't know, like maybe not building, um, you know, like a Fortune 500 ABA company in a gentrified area, but maybe actually going to like, doing some like demographic research on like who may like really can benefit from these services and like 
also considering like building it there. True inclusion would be us collaborating with people like school psychologists and school counselors to see how we can like educate on both ends, like in in a bi-directional way. And we can like get in schools and have insurance cover it in school. Like it would be having, I don't know, diverse people on your DEI board of your company, but also having diverse people just in leadership period, because Mm -hmm. DEI may not even be in my scope of competence just because I'm black. Like having like, just, it, it really is a matter of like, from the, the quote unquote bottom up, having everyone be seen and affirmed every step of the way um, in ways that, like you said, to the point capitalism, like would it work? Like I was looking on TikTok and I was so moved this person without even knowing it. And I don't know if it's still a trend. This is a while ago, but without knowing it, she kind of started this trend about bartering. And I don't think Mm. people really understand like goods and bartering is actually how we can like de like dissect from capitalism Mm. but she was like hey like i'm in need of i can't remember like i don't know like a fax machine i don't know it's 2023 i don't know if she needs a fax machine (laughs) but she's like hey i'm in need of a fax machine um i don't have any money but i'm a really good baker like and this is what my cakes look like this that and the other and so she ended up like i think she was in new york city she ended up like meeting with somebody in new york city um, and and that's how they like exchange like the goods and mm-hmm. and and I'm like that's that's really what it's about, which again goes against our ethics code in so many ways. I mean, there are these like caveats to bartering, and you know mm. if that's allowed. And but again, it's like we have to think about in a very communal <laughs> way in ways that most people don't understand. <laughs> like it's just and and so again, it's like no, like miss me with the like burnout like zoom calls where again we're like in a parasocial way kind of like trauma bonding over these mutual complaints that may not even be complaints if we really understood the system because then we'd understand how privileged we are to even have a zoom let alone a complaint like let's actually talk about the community (laughs) or the communities that we're Mm. supposed to be serving because they are the marginalized in this context not me the person with a master's degree um and again, that's not to say that like I don't have complaints. That's not to say that there may be things that, you know, are 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 valid and all this stuff. But like take that shit to your therapist and think about who you're really talking to yeah. and who's seeing this. Like it's just we're not, I, I just, I'm sorry, I'm getting all like no. but it because it just it drives me it. insane that yeah. like it is so much deeper than this. And the yeah. consequence of us not realizing that is significant harm to people. Myself, Dr. Danielle Beals, Dr. Natalie Williams-Audea, Kelsey uh, Seco, and Emily Keller, Keller, I believe. And I'm sorry, I'm like blanking Mm. on names right now. We did a research project a few years ago or a couple years ago, and it was about this burnout. And what we realized is like, maybe this isn't burnout. Maybe it's actually trauma and who we actually, our research end up kind of centering were like the RBTs, <laughs> like were the clients. And and it was just such a beautiful thing. Dr. Williams Ayudea is the one who proposed the research and, and brought us in for the study um, because she gets it in a way that I think is so ahead of the times right now. Mm-hmm. And I really, really hope that more people follow her work 
on Instagram. I believe her um, Instagram page is left of center, but I highly suggest that people look up her work because she really understands like centering who needs to be centered in a lot of these conversations. And she completely is like divested from this very, the way I'm wording it, like this whitewashed way of talking about this because she sees it like she's a whole PhD and was like working as an RBT before she got her BCBA Mm. Um, and not in this like self like glorifying way, but in a real like, Mm. don't think just because I have a PhD in this whole other like study or this whole whole other field that like Mm -hmm. I should just come in as like the supervisor. You know what I mean? Um, When I don't know anything about maybe this client or this case or whatever. Um, her work, I mean, I talk a lot all the time about Dr. Danielle Beal's work, um, Dr. Nasia's work, like, um, uh, Denisha's work, like all of, I think all of our work is really talking about this. And I really, really hope that people will like read it and, and support our work because not again, not in this like shameless plug kind of way, but in this very real, like we're talking about like the human experience um in a way that I think is a little bit more effective than than other ways that um are being proposed that that we kind of deal with 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 burnout in particular but you know some of these other things as well yeah yeah awesome well I know we're running out of time I know you got a place to be we uh, are. I, I just wanted to maybe take just just a minute if you, a minute or two if yeah. you have it um just to talk about some of the some of the current stuff um, yeah. uh, I know you're, uh, uh, you've, you've recently taken on the role of mentorship coordinator at BABA, um, yes. and, uh, which is super awesome. And also you'll be, yeah. you'll be running the beauty shop at the BABA conference coming up in June. Yes. Um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about kind of, kind of what you're doing at BABA and what's going on yeah. for folks. Yeah. Yeah. So you're right. I am, um, BABA's mentorship chair. Mentorship is something, again, thinking back about uh, our conversation on community, it is something that is so ancestral for Black people across the diaspora. Mm. Um, We believe in that whole, like, it takes a village. And to me, that's what mentorship really is. It's this village approach. And so we offer monthly mentorship right now Mm. um, where anyone can be a mentor. I want it to be a bi-directional relationship where, you know, just because you may feel like you need mentorship in this case, that I want people to remember that they also can be mentors if that's something that they feel comfortable with doing. Um, Eventually, we have hopes to have more individual like one-on-one mentorship uh, but we just had our first group mentorship last week, and it was just so awesome. It was just Black clinicians really coming together to talk about um, how we can really take care of ourselves while doing the work that we do. So mm. that was awesome. Um, I'm not sure off the top of my head the date of next month's mentorship, but we'll mm. be putting out promotion for that. Yep. Um, and then, yes, so the beauty shop, I'm doing another um workshop well, it was not a, I was too shy last year to do it as a workshop this year to be a workshop um my thought for the beauty shop is that I wanted to simulate what as a staple the beauty in the barbershop is for black people mm. I want it to be like that so um it is a just a commitment I think from black person to black person to hold space for each other and our experiences to love on each other to call each other in and things like that. Um, legally, I can't say only black people, um, you know, can, can come to that workshop, but, 
that workshop will absolutely be centering Black people yes. and our experiences. Um, and so I'm really, really excited about that. Um, I was so touched by like the the feedback that I got from it last year. So I am very, very excited that um, Baba selected it as one of the um, workshops this year. So yeah, cool. I'm excited. Yeah. Awesome. That sounds really cool. Uh, okay. I know we got to wrap up. Uh, Cami, thanks so much for coming on as well as an Thank excellent you. conversation. And, uh, you know, I know we, we could have easily made this a three hour conversation and <laughs> yes, I would have been so happy yes. to do it, but I know you got to get going. So thanks for being on and we'll definitely have you back. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Bye.